Good evening, and welcome to a special holiday program. I'm Garrett McCary, a volunteer here at the Sanctuary for Independent Media. Our first segment is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s Last Christmas Sermon. He gave this sermon at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta in 1967. This will be followed by an assortment of Christmas and winter poems that I have selected and that you probably won't hear on radio or television this or any other year. I hope you enjoy the program. Christmas season finds us a rather bewildered human race. We neither have peace within nor peace without. And yet, my friends, a Christmas hope for peace can no longer be dismissed as a kind of pious dream of some utopian hope. We don't have goodwill toward men in this world. We will destroy ourselves by the misuse of our own instruments and our own power. The judgment of God is upon us, and we must either learn to live together as brothers are we all going to perish together as food? Now let me suggest first that if we are to have peace on earth, our loyalties must become ecumenical rather than sectional. Yes, as nations and individuals, we are interdependent. It really boils down to this, that all life is interrelated. We are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny, and whatever affects one directly, affects all indirectly. Do you ever stop to think that you can't leave for your job in the morning without being dependent on most of the world? You reach for the bar of soap 
and that's given to you at the hands of a Frenchman. And then you go in the kitchen to drink your coffee that's poured in your cup by a South American. Or maybe you want tea that's poured in your cup by a Chinese. And then you reach over for your toast and that's given to you at the hands of an English-speaking farmer. Before you finish eating breakfast in the morning, you're dependent on more than half of the world. Let us can live alone, no nation can live alone, and as long as we try, the more we're going to have war in this world. We aren't going to have peace on earth until we recognize this basic fact of the interrelated structure of all reality. can one avoid being depressed when he sees with his own eyes evidences of millions of people going to bed hungry at night? How can one avoid being depressed when he sees with his own eyes thousands of people sleeping on the sidewalks at night? They have no houses to go in. They have no beds to sleep in. I beheld these conditions, something within me cried out, can we in America stand idly by and not be concerned? And an answer came, oh no. And I started thinking about the fact. Right here in our country, we spend millions of dollars every day to store surplus food. And I said to myself, I know where we can store that food free of charge in the wrinkled stomachs of the millions of God's children in Asia and Africa, Latin America, and even in our own nation who go to bed hungry at night.
Next thing we must be concerned about if we're to have peace on earth, goodwill toward men, must be the non-violent affirmation of the sacredness of all human life. Every man is somebody because he is a child of God. And so when we say thou shall not kill, we are really saying that human life is too sacred to be killed on the battlefields of the world. out of whispered smoke from a limitless smoldering. Man is a child of God made in his image and therefore must be respected as such. Until men see this everywhere, until nations see this everywhere, we will be fighting wars. It's one of the strangest things that all of the great military geniuses of the world have talked about peace. The leaders of the world today talk eloquently about peace. The conquerors of old came killing in pursuit of peace. Alexander, Julius Caesar, Charmaine, and Napoleon were akin in seeking a peaceful world order. What is the problem? 
They are talking about peace as a distant goal, as an end we seek. But one day we must come to see that peace is not merely a distant goal that we seek, but it is a means by which we arrive at that goal. We must pursue peaceful ends through peaceful means. And when we truly believe in the sacredness of human personality, we won't exploit people. We won't trample over people with iron feet of oppression. We won't kill anybody. for love in the Greek New Testament. One is the word eros. Eros is a sort of aesthetic, romantic love. Plato used to talk about it a great deal in his dialogues, the yearning of the soul for the realm of the divine. And there is and can always be something beautiful about eros, even in its expressions of romance. Some of the most beautiful love and all of the world has been expressed this way. <laughs> then the Greek language talks about phileo, which is another word for love. Amphileo is a kind of intimate love between personal friends. This is the kind of love that you have for those people that you get along with well and those that you like. On this level, you love because you are loved. language comes out with another word for love. It is a word agape. Agape is more than romantic love. It is more than friendship. Agape is understanding, creative, redemptive goodwill for all men.
agape is an overflowing love which seeks nothing in return. Theologians would say that it is the love of God operating in the human heart. And so when you rise to love on this level, you love all men, not because you like them, not because their ways appeal to you, but you love every man because God loves him. This is what Jesus meant when he said, love your enemies. And I'm happy that he didn't say like your enemies because there are some people that I find it pretty difficult to like. Like is an affectionate emotion and I can't like anybody bombing my home. I can't like anybody who would exploit me. I can't like anybody who would trample over me with injustices. I can't like them. I can't like anybody who threatens to kill me day in and day out. Jesus reminds us that love is greater than like. Yes, sir. Love is understanding, creative, redemptive goodwill for all men. I've seen too much hate to want to hate myself. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Somehow, we must be able to stand up before our most bitter opponents and say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will and we will still love you and so throw us in jail. We will still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities at the midnight hour and drag us out on some wayside road and leave us half dead as you beat us and we will still love you. But be ye assured we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. And we will so appeal to your heart and conscience that we will win you in the process. Our victory will be a double victory.
God is to be peace on earth and goodwill toward men, we must finally believe in the ultimate morality of the universe, believe that all reality hinges on moral foundations. Truth crushed earth will rise again. No lie can live forever. I tried to talk to the nation about a dream that I'd had. And I must confess to you today that not long after talking about that dream, I started seeing it turn into a nightmare. Yes, I am personally the victim of deferred dreams, of blasted hopes. But in spite of that, I close today by saying I still have a dream. Because you know you can't give up in life. If you lose hope somehow, you lose that vitality that keeps life moving. You lose that courage to be, that quality that helps you to go on in spite of. And so this is our faith. As we continue to hope for peace on earth and goodwill toward men, let us know that in the process we have cosmic companionship. Today I still have a dream. Men will rise up and come to see that they are made to live together as brothers. I still have a dream this morning that one day every colored person in the world will be judged on the basis of the content of his character rather than the color of his skin. And every man will respect the dignity and worth of human personality. And brotherhood will be more than a few words at the end of a prayer, but the first order of business on every legislative agenda. I still have a dream today. Justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I still have a dream today that one day war will come to an end, that men will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will no longer rise up against nations, neither will they study war anymore. I still have a dream.
You have been listening to the last Christmas sermon given by Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. from the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta in 1967. He was assassinated the next year. You are listening to WOOC 105.3 FM Low Power Radio from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. My name is Garrett McCary. I'm a volunteer and contributor to the station and to the sanctuary. We hope that you will consider a contribution to the sanctuary to keep the voice alive here in Troy and indeed in upstate New York. The next part of our segment will be an assortment of Christmas and winter poems that I put together that you probably won't hear on the radio or television this or any other year. I hope you enjoy the program. I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. I thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Before the ice is in the pools, by Emily Dickinson. Before the ice is in the pools, before the skaters go, or any check at nightfall is tarnished by the snow, before the fields have finished, before the Christmas tree, wonder upon wonder will arrive to me. Christmas Trees by Robert Frost The city had withdrawn itself and left at last the country to the country. When between whirls of snow not come to lie and whirls of foliage not yet laid, there drove a stranger to our yard who looked the city, yet did in country fashion in that there he sat 
and waited till he drew us out a buttoning coats to ask him who he was. He proved to be the city come again to look for something it had left behind. It could not do without and keep its Christmas. He asked if I would sell my Christmas trees. My woods, the young fir balsams like a place where houses all are churches and have spires. I hadn't thought of them as Christmas trees. I doubt if I was tempted for a moment to sell them off their feet to go in cars and leave the slope behind the house all bare where the sun shines now no warmer than the moon. I'd hate to have them know it if I was. Yet more I'd hate to hold my trees except as others hold theirs or refuse for them beyond the time of profitable growth, the trial by market everything must come to. I dallied so much with the thought of selling, then whether from mistaken courtesy and fear of seeming short of speech, or whether from hope of hearing good of what was mine, I said, well, there aren't enough to be worthwhile. I could soon tell how many they would cut, you let me look them over. You could look, but don't expect I'm going to let you have them. Pasture they spring in, some in clumps too close that lop each other off bows, but not a few, quite solitary and having equal bows all round and round. The latter he nodded yes to, or paused to say beneath some lovelier one with a buyer's moderation, that would do. I thought so too, but wasn't there to say so. We climbed the pasture on the south, crossed over and came down on the north. He said, A thousand. A thousand trees? At what a piece? He felt some need of softening that to me. A thousand trees would come to thirty dollars. Then I was certain I had never meant to let him have them. Never show surprise. But thirty dollars seemed so small beside the extent of pasture I should strip. Three cents, for that was all they figured out a piece. Three cents so small beside the dollar, friends I should be writing to within the hour would pay in cities for good trees like those. Regular vestry trees, whole Sunday schools could hang enough on to pick off enough. A thousand Christmas trees I didn't know I had. Worth three cents more to give away than sell, as may be shown by a simple calculation. Too bad I couldn't lay one in a letter. I can't help wishing I could send you one, and wishing you herewith a Merry Christmas. Mistletoe by Walter de la Mare Sitting under the mistletoe, pale green, fairy mistletoe, one last candle burning low. All the sleepy dancers gone, just one candle burning on, shadows lurking everywhere. Someone came and kissed me there. Tired I was, my head would go nodding under the mistletoe,
pale green fairy mistletoe. No footsteps came, no voice, but only, just as I sat there sleepy, lonely, stooped in the still and shadowy air, lips unseen, and kissed me there. Journey of the Magi by T.S. Eliot A cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of the year for a journey, and such a long journey, the ways deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter, and the camels galled, sore-footed, refractory, lying down in the melted snow. There were times we regretted the summer palaces on slopes, the terraces, and the silken girls bringing sherbet. Then the camelmen cursing and grumbling and running away and wanting their liquor and women, and the night fires going out and the lack of shelters, and the cities hostile and the towns unfriendly and the villages dirty and charging high prices. A hard time we had of it. At the end we preferred to travel all night, sleeping in snatches, with the voices singing in our ears, saying that this was all folly. Then at dawn we came down to a temperate valley, wet below the snow line, smelling of vegetation, with a running stream and a water mill beating the darkness, and three trees in the low sky, and an old white horse galloped away in the meadow. Then we came to a tavern with vine leaves over the lintel, six hands at an open door dicing for pieces of silver, and feet kicking the empty wineskins, but there was no information. And so we continued and arrived at evening, not a moment too soon, finding the place. It was, you may say, satisfactory. All this was a long time ago, I remember. And I would do it again, but set down, this set down, this. Were we led all that way for birth or death? There was a birth, certainly. We had evidence, and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but had thought they were different. This birth was hard and bitter agony for us, like death, our death. We returned to our places these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation, with an alien people clutching their gods. I should be glad of another death. Abu Ben Adam by Lee Hunt Abu Ben Adam, may his tribe increase, awoke one night from a deep dream of peace, and saw within the moonlight in his room, making it rich and like a lily in bloom, an angel writing in a book of gold. Exceeding peace had made Ben Adam bold, and to the presence in the room he said, What writest thou? 
the vision raised its head, and with a look made of all sweet accord, answered, The names of those who love the Lord. And is mine one? said Abu. Nay, not so, replied the angel. Abu spoke more low, but cheerily still, and said, I pray thee then, write me as one that loves his fellow men. The angel wrote and vanished. The next night it came again with a great wakening light, and showed the names whom love of God had blessed, and lo, Ben Adam's name led all the rest. Christmas Sparrow by Billy Collins The first thing I heard this morning was a soft, insistent rustle, the rapid flapping of wings against glass as it turned out, a small bird rioting in the frame of a high window, trying to hurl itself through the enigma of transparency into the spacious light, a noise in the throat of the cat hunkered on the rug, told me how the bird had gotten inside, carried in the cold night through the flap in a basement door and later released from the soft clench of teeth. Up on a chair I trapped its pulsations in a small towel and carried it to the door so weightless it seemed to have vanished into the nest of cloth. But outside it burst from my uncupped hands into its element, dipping over the dormant garden in a spasm of wing beats and disappearing over a tall row of hemlocks. Still, for the rest of the day, I could feel its wild thrumming against my palms whenever I thought about the hours the bird must have spent pent in the shadows of that room hidden in the spiky branches of our decorated tree, breathing there among metallic angels, ceramic apples, stars of yarn, its eyes open, like mine as I lie here tonight, picturing this rare, lucky sparrow, tucked into a holly bush now, a light snow tumbling through the windless dark. Dust of Snow by Robert Frost The way a crow shook down on me the dust of snow from hemlock tree has given my heart a change of mood and saved some part of a day I had brewed. Remembrance of Christmas Past by Judith Vjorst They let the children out of school too early. I left the Christmas shopping till too late. Each day we had a holiday excursion, which gave us the entire week to wait in line for movies by Disney, gift wrapping by Lord and Taylor, and everyone's restrooms. On Christmas Eve, we started to assemble the easy-to-assemble telescope and fire truck with 47 pieces. 
By midnight, it was plain there was no hope without an astronomer, a mechanical engineer, and two psychiatrists. We rose at dawn to three boys singing Rudolph. We listened numbly to their shouts of glee. The kitten threw up tinsel on the carpet. The fire truck collided with the tree, requiring one rug shampoo, several band-aids, and scotch before breakfast. I bought my husband's shirts. Wrong size, wrong colors, and ties he said he couldn't be caught dead in. I'd hinted Saint Laurent or something furry. He bought me flannel gowns to go to bed in, also a Teflon frying pan, a plaid valise, and the Weight Watchers cookbook. The turkey was still frozen at eleven. At noon, my eldest boy spilled Elmer's glue. At five, I had a swell Excedrin headache, the kind that lasts till January, too, but Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, I think. Christmas Poem by Mary Oliver Says a country legend told every year, Go to the barn on Christmas Eve and see what the creatures do as that long night tips over. Down on their knees they will go, the fire of an old memory whistling through their minds. So I went. Wrapped to my eyes against the cold, I creaked back the barn door and peered in. From town the church bells spilled their midnight music, and the beasts listened. Yet they lay in their stalls like stone. Oh, the heretics! Not to remember Bethlehem, or the star as bright as a sun, or the child born on a bed of straw, to know only of the dissolving now. Still they drowsed on, citizens of the pure, the physical world. They loomed in the dark, powerful of body, peaceful of mind, innocent of history. Brothers, I whispered, it is Christmas, and you are no heretics, but a miracle, immaculate still as when you thundered forth on the morning of creation. As for Bethlehem, that blazing star still sailed the dark, but only look for me. Caught in its light, listening again to its story, I curled against some sleepy beast who nuzzled my hair as though I were a child and warmed me the best it could all night. Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods 
fill up with snow? My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near between the woods and frozen lake the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds, the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. You have been listening to a special program from WOOC 105.3 FM, originating from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy. The program was Martin Luther King Jr.'s Last Christmas Sermon, an assortment of poetry read by David Gerard, whom you may know from the Troy Foundry Theater, Evelyn Mayen, Jim Mayen, and Paula Consolini. The bell you had heard between the poems was produced from a Manili bell, which is manufactured in Watervliet. That bell can be seen at the Rensselaer County Historical Society on 2nd Street. Give them a call. We hope to see you next year here at the sanctuary. There's always a lot going on. Go to mediasanctuary.org for more information on that and whatever's happening at the Nature Lab. Wish you all a happy holiday. I'm Garrett McCary. Good night. Mm-hmm.